Good evening and welcome to Amplify, a telephone talk show that looks at life from a religious perspective. I'm Father Ron Lingwin, hoping you have felt the warmth of God's love in your life this day, but especially the joy you feel when you share God's love with others. As we do each week, I'd like to begin a program with a story that is based on faith and formed with imagination. It had been a long day, and Jesus seemed to be staring out into space when a man came up to him and asked, Master, what is the secret of existence? What do you know you're not telling us? A smile slowly filled Jesus' face, and he said, I will teach you how to speak to my Father, and in so doing, answer both of your questions. But I know how to speak, the man objected. I've got a voice. I know how to use my lips and my tongue. But you must learn how to speak with the mind, Jesus said. Once more, the man objected. I use my mind. Again, Jesus smiled, shook his head and said, Your words carry like the winds through the trees. But they must penetrate the mountains. I don't understand you, Master. Sit with me and I will teach you, Jesus said. You must begin by thinking of a mountain. In his mind, the man imagined a hill. Jesus told him it must be higher and wider and there must not be a sound on it, not even the sound of the wind, a bird or another human voice, only complete and beautiful silence. It was hard for the man, but he began to feel all alone, slowly climbing a mountain. Jesus instructed him, Don't exert your body. Use the energy for your mind. Don't think of it as work, but climb. Empty your mind. Don't allow any feeling or sound to enter your body. Tell your heart you wish to see and feel the love of my Father. The man began to be very relaxed, everything felt right. A strangeness, a feeling of expectation came over him. Then, in a gentle voice, as soft as a whisper, Jesus said to him, When you feel almost asleep, call out to my Father and tell him you are here. Keep the mind awake, but let the body rest so that your heart and soul may become one with my Father. The man did as he was directed, and he was filled with an inner peace. No one heard him call out because the words were spoken by his heart and soul. Later, the people in the temple mocked him and laughed at him when he told them what had happened. How will God hear you if you don't shout and cry out, they said. Doubt began to fill his mind, but he went and prayed once again as the master had taught him. And he learned what a beautiful gift it is to be able to communicate with God in a very intimate and personal way. For no one else knows what you have given to God or what God has given to you, not even the evil one. It took a long time, but one of Jesus' worst enemies eventually became one of his greatest followers when he saw the light. His name 
was Paul. We find uh, these opening words in the introduction to a book titled, Lord, Teach Us to Pray, an anthology of the writings of Archbishop Fulton J. Sheen. It was over 2,000 years ago that the disciples of Jesus asked him to teach them to pray. The desire both to know how to pray and to have a prayer life that is satisfying is one that continues to stir in hearts today. Our Lord lovingly fulfilled the disciples' request when he taught them to pray the Our Father. By his example, he showed them the necessity of going to a quiet place to pray, to receive guidance and spiritual nourishment. While addressing the crowd gathered on the mount, Jesus was likewise reminding the disciples, quote, when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your Father who is in secret. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you. Archbishop Fulton J. Sheen received the same request that was made of our Lord, teach us to pray. His students, his parishioners, and his worldwide audience would ask him about ways to pray about his favorite prayers. With this in mind, Sheen was keen to encourage people to make prayer a daily, holy habit. To Catholics, he would specifically recommend attending Holy Mass daily whenever possible to set aside time to pray a holy hour and to pray the way of the cross in union with our Lord's passion. Archbishop Fulton J. Sheen was known to have often said, quote, I do not want my life to be mine. I want it to be Christ's, close quote. He had cultivated an intimate prayer life with Christ, and he wanted to share it with everyone. This anthology was edited by Alan Smith, who was a guest on our program a few weeks ago. I asked him to come back so soon because the world is certainly in need of, of our prayers. And um, that changed because it was a week ago today that my sister Mary Jean passed to her eternal reward. And so last week we had uh, an old program that was played. Maybe you didn't even realize it. And so um, probably I'm going to save some of my remarks about my sister at the very end of the program. I will leave a little bit of time for that. Alan, remind us of your interest in Archbishop Sheen and the connection you still have with him through the efforts to proclaim him a saint. All right. Um, I came by Fulton Sheen's writings by, uh, I like to say, accident, but there's no accidents with God. And so uh, about uh, 12 years ago, I started to read Fulton Sheen's writings and uh, was taken um, uh, aback by them in the sense that they moved me. They moved me. And I, I thought this man not only was touching my life, but I started to uh, research and find that he touched millions of lives. And so um, I just started to share his writings uh, wherever I could. I, I host a radio show in Canada and uh, was able to secure the rights to uh, rebroadcast a number of Sheen's uh, audio recordings from his lectures and his uh, retreats. And uh, so I've been hosting a Bishop Sheen show for uh, over 10 years now. 
And um, again, I found my way to Peoria, Illinois, where there the bishop of Peoria asked me to sit on the board of directors uh, for the cause of Archbishop Sheen's canonization process. So I've met uh, many good people, and uh, when I travel across the country, uh, everyone shares with me their Sheen stories. Uh, stories of how they either met Fulton Sheen in person or uh, were touched by one of his television broadcast or a radio show. And so, uh, again, this man has uh, converted many uh, to the faith and has helped make um, a sense of the faith uh, with many of his writings. And so uh, I started to, as I read his books, realize that uh, Fulton Sheen had a lot of themes that he loved to touch on. And so uh, he wrote many books on prayer, and especially little prayer books um, that uh, he would send to his listeners who requested uh, them. And uh, so he was always trying to feed the flock, but with little bite-sized pieces. And uh, so I started to realize that he had made a collection of these books, and uh, so I thought I would put them into one collection. And uh, tonight we'll be talking about Sheen's writings on praying the Our Father, uh, his writings on the Mass, uh, his um, reflections on the Holy Hour, Stations of the Cross, and so many other uh, beautiful, uh, you know, little passages that he uh, put to his newspaper columns. So, uh, again, Fulton Sheen, you'll notice my career of producing anthologies or collections, uh, there's always a theme. And we shared uh, at length a number of years ago Sheen's writings on the seven last words uh, and the book we put together called The Cries of Jesus from the Cross. And, and just as you mentioned, Father, just a few weeks ago, we talked about Sheen's writings on the sacraments and marriage and uh, the book, Archbishop Sheen's Book of Sacraments. But uh, this is his writings on prayer. And so, uh, as I mentioned in the introduction, um, you know, uh, the disciples of our Lord asked our Lord to teach uh, them how to pray. And, uh, of course, Fulton Sheen was asked that same question. Uh, help us to pray. Give us a few uh, tips of how to make our prayer time uh, that much better to have a beautiful encounter with God. So uh, he was, a, some people would call him a coach uh, in today's uh, world. You know, we have these life coaches and mentors, but, um, you know, he was a good priest, I think, at heart that just took, mm -hmm. uh, you know, his audience um, in a way that was is like his parish. He had a parish of five million souls when he was preaching on the radio and 30 million souls when he was preaching on television. Uh, but yet he tended to souls like any good priest would, uh, giving timely advice. So uh, right. we'll share some of that advice today. And so thank you again for having me back on the program. I'm uh, grateful um, that you were supposed to be on last week, of course, and it was last week that my sister passed to, uh, to her own glory. And um, uh, part of the program... Um, will change because of uh, what has happened to me, how my, my strong feelings. And I'm someone who, who cries real easy. So there was a lot of tears during this, this uh, past week. Uh, but um, we sometimes feel in some sense um, what Jesus felt on the cross. Is we're losing someone we love. We can only imagine what it is that, that Mary felt. And we're going to begin with... Uh, his seven last words, and um, I of course remember my my sister's last words um, 
Um, we didn't really expect her to pass as, as she did when she did. And um, um, she was still concerned about uh, me to the very end. Uh, as, I, as I walked by her hospital bed at home, uh, she said, did you eat? What did you eat? So she wasn't going to let me get off easy. You know, so uh, it, was, it was just that way. And let me, let me read the introduction to the seven last words. Our Lord is the only king who ever stumbled to his throne, but that was because he is God. God reveals his power through the weakness of a crucifixion and his wisdom through the foolishness of a cross. And surely sometimes our own suffering we think of as foolishness. And as I may have time to say at the end, one of my questions was why did God want my sister to be with him now? Once on the heights of Calvary, where meet the crossroads of three civilizations in whose name he is crucified, he is finally stripped of his garments. They belong to his time, to Judea, to Galilee, to a small province of Rome. Now in order that he might not be localized by garments, but universalized as redeemer of the world, he permits himself to be shorn of the last vestige of earthly things so as to be utterly and absolutely the poor man of the world. And uh, jumping a little bit ahead, the words that he speaks are known as the seven last words. Um, why, don't, why don't you just give, pick one of the uh, words and reflect on it a little bit for us? Right. Yeah. And I, I think I will, you know, back up a little bit. And um, uh, people who follow uh, the career of Archbishop Fulton J. Sheen know that um, for 58 consecutive years, he uh, gave uh, standing room only addresses, uh, his Good Friday addresses, especially where uh, ticketed only. It, um, so many people would gather around in thousands uh, on the streets to listen to the loudspeakers. And every year, his Good Friday address, uh, and especially his Lenten uh, homilies, uh, were focused on the seven last words, but always with a different theme. And uh, so, in, for example, in 1935, he uh, addressed the Our Father and the seven last words. And you're going to see how, um, you know, how the... Uh, almost like the, the dots are connected, how uh, God in his wisdom uh, put everything through the lens of the cross and the seven last words. And so in 1935, he penned uh, this beautiful uh, uh, lecture that he addressed on Good Friday about the seven last words and the Our, seven parts of the Our Father. And uh, every year he followed that up. Like in 1936, he uh, did the seven last words and the seven parts of the Mass, and we'll talk a little bit later about that. But every year, it was either on the Beatitudes, or on the Virtues, or on the Seven Deadly Sins. Uh, Fulton Sheen would always try to give us these life lessons, but always put them through the lens of the cross and the seven last words. And so um, this, this, you'll find, is what Sheen does so well. And again, 58 consecutive years that he spoke on the seven last words, he kind of knows what he's doing. Now, one of my favorite passages, of course, is the dialogue between the good thief 
and our blessed Lord. And so um, Fulton Sheen addresses the second word that he spoke on the cross and attaches it to the second part of the Our Father, uh, the beautiful words, hallowed be thy name. And of course, the word that he addressed to the good thief was, amen, I say to you this day, thou shalt be with me in paradise. And I think what Fulton Sheen really wants to make the connection is that the good thief saw uh, in our Lord, um, again, this um, power. And um, again, he had to experience a great deal of pain, but uh, that pain was his penance. And it's like the scales fell off his eye and that he looked upon the, um, the sign above our Lord's head that he was a king. And I think he really connected that he truly was a king. And so he trusted in him. And he asked that beautiful request, please, Lord, remember me when you enter into your kingdom. It was almost like he was truly recognizes that your name is holy. You have the power to redeem me. Uh, you have the power to forgive my sins. And so blessed be your name, Lord Jesus. And uh, of course, uh, he was the first one to recognize that Jesus was a king. And of course, he received that great reward. Uh, and he said, this day you'll be with me in paradise. So you can see, as we pray to our Father, we say, hallowed be thy name. Are we recognizing Jesus Christ and uh, acknowledging him as, as the Savior? And uh, of course, we receive that great reward. So uh, again, this is what Fulton Sheen does in this passage by connecting mm -hmm. the dots between hallowed be thy name and the words uh, that he spoke to the good thief. Amen, I say to thee, this day thou shalt be with me in paradise. And of course, with his words, Bishop Sheen's words, Archbishop Sheen's, uh, popularly known as Bishop Sheen, um, he paints pictures with his words. And within this particular second word, he asks us to picture two scenes as this second word is being spoken. And they are on the opposite side of Zion. There were men hanging on trees. On the one side of the hill, Judas was hanging from a tree. On the opposite side hung our Lord between the two thieves that, to which you just described. And in other words, uh, he says, the thief on the right moved his pain-racked head toward our Lord and saw him divested in every robe of royalty and denuded of every badge of kingship. And yet he perceived the gold beneath the dust and the kingdom through a cloud and power to save a soul beneath the weakness of sinners. And uh, it's, it's just so powerful how he paints then these words. So we're going to take a break now, our first break. Uh, and we're going to come back to talk about Lord, teach us to pray. Welcome back to uh, Amplify, where our guest this evening is Alan Smith was with us just about a month ago. He has put together an anthology, more than one, of Archbishop Fulton J. Sheen. Uh, this went on prayer, titled, Lord, Teach Us to Pray, an Anthology. We've been um, addressing the first part of the book um, on the, the uh, seven last words of, 
of Jesus. Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. The second amen I say to you this day, you will be with me in paradise. And Alan has already talked about a little bit about that. Woman, behold thy son. I, I could easily talk about one, about this particular third word, because uh, my, my sister is very much like a mother to me. And uh, uh, Bishop Sheen talks a lot about the role of women as they relate to the example that Mary gave to us. The fourth word is, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? The fifth word then is, I thirst. The sixth word is, it is consummated. And the seventh word, uh, deliver us from evil. Part of the reason that I'd asked Alan to come is there is so much evil that seems apparent in our world uh, these days, uh, whether it's political, um, the division that, that exists, or uh, in so many things that are happening that we just don't understand. And Bishop Sheen wrote, there is no deliverance from evil except in heaven. That too is why the final petition of the Our Father, which asks that we be delivered from evil, is balanced by the last words of our Lord from the cross, commending his soul into the hands of his heavenly Father. And that's what I, I did uh, for my sister at the, at the funeral rites. Those same prayers uh, are reflected in that particular rite. And Bishop Sheen writes, Sleep on, tired world, your God is dead. Sleep on, creatures, you now have creation to yourself. Sleep on, Jerusalem, you have slain the prophet who would have made you a heavenly city. Sleep on, sinners, the heart that filled you with remorse is pierced with a lance. Sleep on all you who hate for the wings of love are broken. Sleep on, atheists, you have killed your God. Sleep in your false sleep. You can do more than nature can, for it wakes and shudders at your crime. Sleep on for your few brief moments, but remember, someday you will awaken, and one vision will meet your eyes, the vision of love crucified on a cross. Powerful words, beautiful words, and... What is um, Bishop Sheen reflecting to when, he's, when he used the verb sleep here? What is he reflecting in that particular word? Well, you know, my opinion of that is that Fulton Sheen is saying we, don't, we will not find true joy and true rest until we rest in him. And um, what did St. Augustine say? Our hearts are restless until they rest in you. And I think we all have to come to a cross and, uh, of course, be at that foot of the cross to uh, look upon our Lord and learn from him. And I think this is where the seven last words are great meditation for us to reflect on our lives and, uh, of course, our faults, but to know that we will have true rest when we think eternal rest grant unto them the Lord and let perpetual light shine upon them. Uh, they find their peace in Christ. And of course, he said, it is finished and it challenged us to complete our life. Uh, but again, he, in those words, Father, into your hands, I commend my spirit. Uh, that beautiful of uniting our will to God's will. And when we do that, 
we truly can rest. And um, I don't know if that was the answer you were looking for, Father. Yes. <laughs> but uh, still, I think it's, uh, this is what I reflect on. Sometimes when I hear that term sleep on, I think of eternal rest uh, that only we receive when we're in heaven. And, of course, when Sheen wrote in the first line of that chapter, there is no deliverance from evil except in heaven. And so when we're in heaven, the devil is not there. There's no, none of his attacks. Uh, we are, of course, with the Lord, with the saints. And so uh, when we say deliver us from evil, uh, the way to deliver us from evil is to uh, be in heaven with our Lord. There's no real answer to, a right answer to how we might understand sleep. But the way I look at it is um, we're not paying attention really to God's presence in the world. Um, we look at the terrible things that are happening and don't turn to God. We, we fail to understand how much God loves us. And so it's like we're asleep in so many ways. Our minds are closed. Our hearts are closed. Uh, to say it in a simple way, of course, I could reflect on that much more different, uh, much more long, a lot longer. But let's go to Calvary in the Mass. Uh, in the prologue, there's, there's a lot that I've highlighted let me just read the part, one part, and then ask you to reflect uh, however you would on this particular part of your book. Um, we were there then during the crucifixion. The drama was already completed as far as the vision of Christ was concerned, but it had not yet been unfolded to all men and all places and all times. If a motion picture reel, for example, were conscious of itself, it would know the drama from beginning to end, but the spectators in the theater would not know it until they had seen it unrolled upon the screen. In like manner, our Lord on the cross saw in his eternal mind the whole drama of history, the story of each individual soul and how later on it would react to his crucifixion. But though he saw all, we could not know how we would react to the cross until we were unrolled upon the screen of time. We were not conscious of being present there on Calvary that day, but he was conscious of our presence. Today, we know the role we played in the theater of Calvary by the way we live and act now in the theater of our day. That is why Calvary is actual, why the cross is the crisis why, in a certain sense, the scars are still open, why pain still stands deified, and why blood like falling stars is still dropping upon our souls. There is no escaping the cross, not even by denying it, as the Pharisees did, not even by selling Christ as Judas did, not even by crucifying him as the executioners did. We all see it, either to embrace it in salvation or to fly from it in misery. Your thoughts? Yes. I think uh, Sheen just starts off so beautifully uh, when he says these words. There are certain things in life that are too beautiful to be forgotten, such as the love of a mother. Hence, we treasure her picture. The love of soldiers who sacrifice themselves for their country is likewise too, likewise too beautiful to be forgotten. Hence, we revere their memory on Memorial Day. But the greatest blessing that ever came to this earth 
was the visitation of the Son of God in the form and habit of a man. His life, above all, lives. Is, it's, his life is too beautiful to be forgotten. Hence, we treasure the divinity of his words in sacred scripture and the charity of his deeds in our daily actions. Unfortunately, this is all some souls remember, his words and his deeds. Mm-hmm. Important as they are, they are not the greatest characteristics of the divine Savior. The most sublime act in the history of Christ was his death. Death is always important, for it seals a destiny. Any dying man is a scene. Any dying scene is a sacred place. That is why the great literature of the past, which has touched on the emotions surrounding death, has never passed out of date. But of all deaths in the record of man, none was more important than the death of Christ. Everyone else who was born into the world came in it to live. Our Lord came in it to die. Death was a stumbling block to the life of Socrates, but it was the crown to the life of Christ. He who himself told us that he came to give, give his life as a redemption for many, that no one could take away his life, but he would lay it down of himself. And death was the supreme moment for which Christ lived. It was therefore the one thing he wished to have remembered. And I think this is why, uh, of course, our Lord instituted the Eucharist. He wanted us to remember him. And of course, those words at Mass, do this in remembrance of me. And so, uh, again, we need to remember our Lord's death. So, uh, again, these are words that touched me in the prologue of the book Calvary and the Mass that Sheen penned in the year 1936. And um, you make reference to communion, which we as Catholics believe different than most other uh, groups of Christians. But uh, he writes that all life is sustained by uh, communion with a higher life. If the plants could speak, they would say to the moisture and the sunlight, unless you enter into communion with me, become possessed of my higher laws and powers, you shall not have life in you. If the animals could speak, they would say to the plants, unless you enter into communion with me, you shall not have my higher life in you. We say to all lower creation, unless you enter into communion with me, you shall not share in my human life. Why then should not our Lord say to us, unless you enter into communion with me, you shall not have life in you. So communion then, he says, Writes, first of all, receiving of divine life, a life to which we are no more entitled than marble is entitled to bloom. It is a pure gift of a merciful God who so loved us that he willed to be united with us, not in the bonds of flesh, but in the ineffable bonds of the spirit, where love knows no satiety, but only rapture and joy. And so you, you made reference to the communion, uh, that, that part of the book. Is there more that you'd like to say about, about uh, Sheen and his reflection? 
Right. I think what Fulton Sheen did in 1936 was, again, he used that formula of the seven last words and attached them to the seven parts of the Mass. And so when you look at it quickly, those seven last words of, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do, he attaches that to the confidior, or the beginning of Mass, where we recollect. And then he continues with the seven last words of the beautiful words, um, this day you'll be with me in paradise, which is the offertory, where, of course, the um, good thief offers himself up, mm-hmm. kind of as a, a small host on a large patent. But he continues through the whole book, just attaching or connecting the dots between the seven last words and the seven parts of the Mass, and we can go through them a little bit together if we have time. Um, I don't know, Father, what would you like to do? Would you like to um, address one or two uh, or three of these uh, highlights? Or, um, again, do you want me just to do a quick synopsis of Let's say, uh, Luke, connecting the dots? Well, you, you can, yes, you can do that, but also um, uh, the Mass is ended, it is finished, uh, and he, he writes that the work of salvation is finished is finished, but when did it begin? It began back in the agelessness of eternity when God willed to make man. Ever since the beginning of the world, there was a divine, quote-unquote, impatience to restore man to the arms of God. I'd reflect a little bit on this section. Right. Well, I I think of, you know, Calvary. He says... um, He says, you know, he's talking about, of course, offering the Mass. And then he says, that is why Calvary is erected in the midst of us. And we are on its sacred hill. We were not made to be mere onlookers, shaking our dice like the executioners of old, but rather to be participants in the mystery of the cross. And again, what Fulton Sheen is uh, encouraging the reader is to participate uh, in this reenactment of Calvary. And so when he applies these seven last words and to the seven parts of the Mass, hopefully when we're following along at Mass, we maybe then, of course, our eyes and our thoughts go to those words. Uh, When he says... Uh, Father, into your hands I commend my spirit. Um, Again, this last gospel, which uh, is read, it's a a passage from John's gospel, and to those who uh, remember the, uh, sometimes I call it the old mass, but the mass of the extraordinary form, uh, this beautiful uh, uh, passage from John, uh, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Uh, But again, it comes from God and goes back to God, but we have that opportunity to, um, you know, unite ourselves to Christ, especially with those words, Father, into your hands I commend you my spirit. Um, again, it's that whole idea of re- reenacting Calvary, and that's what the Mass is. And so um, I know for myself, after reading this book, um, when I go to Mass now, I'm more focused. I, I pay more attention uh, to the parts of the Mass, the, the offertory, and I think of those words, 
uh, that our Lord says. And uh, the words, I thirst, when I, you know, we approach to communion where our Lord is thirsting for a relationship with us. And so it's an exchange. Uh, all of these things. So, again, I'm sorry for jumping around, but no, I no, think no. there's just... Yeah, please. No, no, again, there's just so many. Uh, and again, I think for many Catholics who sometimes say, oh, the Mass is boring, or, um, you know, we don't get much out of Mass. And uh, But if we would just open our spiritual eyes uh, for a moment to just uh, understand that the Mass is, uh, again, Calvary being reenacted, and you start to realize that our Lord laid down his life for our friend, his friends, which are, which are us. And again, he wants to feed us uh, through the Eucharist. And um, so all of these things, it's just that, um, again, um, people have shared, with, shared this with me many times, uh, that they said, you know, Fulton Sheen has helped me to um, enjoy the Mass more, to get more out of the, um, you know, not just the uh, Sunday uh, mass, but uh, many of them uh, who have now been inspired to attend Mass maybe a few times through the week. But uh, again, uh, to see, um, I guess, Calvary reenacted in an unbloody uh, manner, uh, but to know this great gift that God has given us. So uh, that's one thing that Fulton Sheen does so well. He uh, shares with us that this is a holy habit that I hope uh, that you all will enjoy uh, to try to get to Mass each day. And, of course, he encouraged us to pray our rosaries and to pray a holy hour each day. Uh, but, again, the Mass is the source and summit of our lives. And so um, what better way than to uh, uh, get the most out of Mass? And so uh, these reflections have truly helped uh, millions of people, I would like to say. And he refers to Jesus. He says, his work is finished, but it is ours. When he said it is finished, he did not mean that the opportunities of his life had ended. He meant that his work was done so perfectly that nothing could be added to it to make it more perfect. But with us, how seldom that is true. Too many of us end our lives, but few of us see them finished. A sinful life may end, but a sinful life is never a finished life. Our Lord finished his work, but we have not finished ours. He pointed the way we must follow. He laid down the cross at the finish, but we must now take it up. He finished redemption in his physical body, but we have not finished it in his mystical body. He has finished salvation, and he goes on and on about what has been finished, and yet there's so much for us to do yet. The crucifixion was not meant to be an inspirational drama, but a pattern act on which to model our lives. We are not meant to sit and watch the cross as something done and ended, like the life of Socrates. What was done on Calvary avails for us only in the degree that we repeat it in our own lives. Say a little more about what he's saying here. Yes. Fulton Sheen, um, you know, talks about, um, I think he's trying to encourage us, and, and of course he's commiserating with us. He, he says, uh, towards the end of the chapter, he says, this world of ours is full of half-completed Gothic cathedrals, of half-finished lives, and half-crucified souls. 
Some carry the cross to Calvary and then abandon it. Others are nailed to it and detach themselves before the elevation. Others are crucified, but in answer to the challenge of the world, they come down. They come down after one hour, some after two hours, and uh, some after two hours and 59 minutes. Real Christians are they who persevere unto the end. Our Lord stayed until he had finished. And I think, uh, again, when I read those words, it gives me great encouragement because I, I know how it is to say, I just want to give up. I, I don't want to stay a minute longer. I want to uh, sometimes just leave the cross um, at the foot of the cross and say, I'm done. But yet he's saying, um, follow the example of the Lord. He stayed to the end. Yeah, he didn't get end. down early. And uh, I think this is what we all have to endure, is it will be difficult, but well worth it. Uh, uh, let, me, to again f- let me break in because we need to take our next break, and then yes. we'll be back. Welcome back to the uh, second hour of Amplify. For those of you who may just be um, tuning in at the beginning of the program, I explained that I wasn't here last week, although there was a program from the past that was on, and uh, um, it was because my sister passed from uh, this world to her heavenly reward. She was pulled from this life, I believe, by angels to be within the presence of of God, ultimately, and uh, to look at, at her life. And uh, it is a painful and sorrowful time, but when we put it into context, it's a time, of course, great reward for her, who uh, was uh, so special to me in so many ways. I refer to her as, as my angel. And when you looked at... Uh, all the things that people had uh, written, the notes that uh, I received, and and cards, and um, uh, people you often use the term angel, that she was an angel, so welcoming, so kind, uh, so loving. And uh, what, uh, of course, she invested in me is going to remain, that it's never, you never ever lose that but that love which she invested in me uh, grows. It, uh, it's her love in some way, which is ultimately God's love. It was the God's love for her way of living that I can share in while she was living and even now and all the support given to me in so, so many ways. So we're going to end the program just a little bit earlier, just a few minutes earlier, minutes earlier tonight, so I can just talk a little bit about not to, not to give my homily, uh, but uh, just to say some of the, the key thoughts that I thought. But what's important now, our guest is Alan Smith. We're talking about his latest anthology that he's been writing about uh, the words of Archbishop Fulton J. Sheen. This one, Lord, teach us to pray. So it is about prayer. Alan, tell us about um, the, the holy hour. Uh, he writes, why spend an hour in, in meditation? Because we are living on the surface of our souls, knowing little either of God or our inner self. Our knowledge is mostly about things, not about destiny. Most of our difficulties and disappointments in life are due to mistakes in our life plans. Having forgotten the purpose of living, we have doubted even the value of living. A broken bone gives pain 
because it is not where it ought to be. Our souls are in agony because we are not tending to the fullness of life, truth, and love, which is God. And then he offers 10 reasons. You may want to draw from them or summarize them, but tell us about why make a holy hour. That's the first time I met him in person many years ago when he came to give a retreat for priests. And I had an opportunity to speak with him uh, personally and was very inspired by him, of course. Right. And, you know, Fulton Sheen has been recommending the holy hour uh, to his listeners uh, for uh, many years, right from the beginning of his radio years, he would uh, encourage the faithful uh, on every program to make that holy hour. And not only did he talk the walk, talk, talk the talk, he walked the walk. And uh, people who know Fulton Sheen know that he had a 62-year a consecutive streak, and that he, um, you know, never missed a day of praying for one hour um, with our Lord in the Blessed Sacrament being present. And so, uh, you know, people uh, may sometimes ask, what is a holy hour? And uh, so for Catholics, it's an hour spent in the presence of our Lord, our Eucharistic Lord, who is present in the tabernacle. Uh, but for others, it may just be an hour with the scriptures and uh, an hour spent with prayer and meditation. But uh, in this reflection, this little prayer book that Fulton Sheen uh, put together, and he uh, produced hundreds of thousands of copies of these. I, I took uh, the third printing, which was the 300,000th uh, copy of this little uh, prayer book. But uh, he gives these 10 beautiful reasons why to make a holy hour. And I think once you uh, hear them, you'll say, um, you may be encouraged to make your own holy hour if you're not already. And, and so the first reason that Fulton Sheen encourages uh, people to make the holy hour is, number one, because it is time spent in the presence of our Lord himself. If faith is alive, no, no further reason is needed. And again, that first reason, he uh, is present. He's there. And so, you know, if I said that uh, Jesus is uh, in the church down the street, uh, many would flock to visit with him. And uh, again, that is reason number one, because it is the Lord. Uh, reason number two is that Fulton Sheen says that because in our busy life, it takes considerable time to shake off the noonday devils, uh, the worldly cares which cling to our souls like dust. Uh, the holy hour is necessary. So, um, you know, you need that time to just um, cast your burdens upon the Lord. And uh, again, uh, it may take a while before um, you can start to uh, really enjoy uh, your time and to pray and meditate. But, uh, you know, we need to put that time to take our burdens uh, off our our minds, and so um, we all have busy lives. So I think it's a good habit to uh, get into. Um, but again, so important. Uh, the third reason why Fulton Sheen asks us to make a holy hour is because our Lord asks for it. And uh, when you think of the scriptures, could you not spend one hour with me? Uh, of course, his night. Um, his hour of agony in the garden, uh, again, asking the apostles to spend an hour with them. And so that applies to us, too. The Lord is, uh, of course, encouraging us to spend 
an hour with him. Uh, the fourth reason uh, Fulton Sheen gives to make a holy hour is because the holy hour keeps a balance between the spiritual and the practical. Uh, yes, we live in this world, but we all hope to be with our Lord in heaven for all eternity. And so it's that balance of the spiritual and practical that I think is hard to find in this world. Um, I don't know if you could make a comment to that, Father, um, because, again, I think you, of course, guide so many souls in trying to find that balance between uh, spiritual and practical. Uh, anything you may want to say about that? Um, well, there's a, there's a lot that I can say, um, but uh, I, why don't you just go through and then we'll have a general sure. conversation. Go okay, ahead. No, absolutely. Please. Okay. Yeah. So the fifth reason uh, to make a holy hour, according to Fulton Sheen, is because the holy hour will make us practice what we preach. Uh, I know as a parent, I'm always asking my children to pray. And so if I'm not leading by example and practicing what I preach, uh, I'm not that good example. But uh, again, it's a good holy habit. I think uh, you know, virtue is like a muscle. You need to exercise it. So uh, again, this uh, daily practice, this holy habit will help us to practice what we preach. Uh, the sixth reason for making the holy hour is because the holy hour helps us to make reparation both for the sins of the world and for our own. And I know I remember uh, going and writing um, a book, my first book, I did some research and um, went through Fulton Sheen's handwritten notes. And many times he would write reparation and uh, encourage uh, just to remind us that we need to make reparation uh, for our sins. And so uh, what a great way to do that by spending time with the one we wounded. Uh, so uh, to, uh, of course, uh, be with the Lord and to say we're sorry, but to make that act of reparation through the holy hour. Uh, the seventh reason is because it reduces our liability to temptation and weakness. Uh, the more time that we spend with our Lord in the Blessed Sacrament, the stronger the friendship becomes. And I think Fulton Sheen, when we watch his witness, uh, you knew that he uh, was <laughs> friends with Jesus and had this confidence. And, of course, uh, you knew that he would do as much as he could to not try to, to betray or offend the Lord. But, um, again, we, uh, this does reduce our liability to temptation and weakness. Uh, the eighth reason to make a holy hour is because it is a personal prayer. And, uh, you know, some of us have a devotion, say, to the rosary or to the Stations of the Cross. But for others, it is the holy hour. So it is a personal prayer. Uh, number nine is the meditation keeps us from seeking an external escape from our worries and miseries. And number ten, uh, finally, because the holy hour is necessary for the church. Um, the church needs uh, these holy hours and for us to uh, pray for not only our intentions, but the intentions of so many others. So again, these are the uh, Cole's notes of the 10 reasons to, that Fulton Sheen uh, lists in uh, this um, beginning of the Holy Hour uh, booklet. And so um, I think there's lots there that uh, I can, can resonate with our listeners. And uh, Father, I will leave it to you now to, um, you know, make uh, some further commentary on these uh, 10 reasons. Well, um, it's sort of in the last one that he, um, uh, he says that he, 
he wants us in his dwelling that you too may be where I am. And I would go back to the fourth one when you first asked me about the balance between the spiritual and and the practical. I think that um, we, we today have uh, paid a lot of attention to the physical part of our being, and we even use the words that we're out of balance. Our body is out of balance, or there's no balance between uh, the body and our, and our mind. Well, we have to, have to remember that the soul is at the center of it all. So it's not just balance, balancing the physical, but it's also the spiritual that uh, we need to spend time uh, in order to discover the spirit of God within us. Uh, that it, and when we discover the presence of God within us, we don't just discover the presence of God, but we discover so much more that comes with the presence of anyone in our life whom we love, much like my, my sister. I have to recognize, as I've said previously, her love is not lost to me. I believe that there is some sense in which spiritually we are still connected, uh, the two of us and, and with others, because the day is going to come when we will all be united together when we were called back before, before judgment. And I think that's why Bishop Sheen then, whenever he gave the retreat to a priest in the diocese at Pittsburgh, his emphasis was, and it wasn't just to us, I'm sure, everywhere he went, and gave such a retreat. He wanted priests to know that we have 23 hours a day. We don't have 24 hours a day because every day we have to spend an hour uh, in prayer uh, and recognize then not just God's presence in the world, but more intimately God's presence within us because that presence then invests us with so many blessings, so many powers uh, so to speak, so many gifts that we that we receive, and um, that it will enable us to be closer to Him, enable us to live as we were created to live, to bring that blessing into the world where it needs to be felt, whether it's in individuals or whether we have influence over larger groups of people, or uh, that we so so to speak, happen by God's design, really find our way uh, in the presence of someone's life. And, that, and we are what they need because the Spirit of God is within us. And we bring that, we bring that in its uniqueness, that uniqueness of the reflection of God's Spirit, uh, spirit to that person. Yes. And I, I love when Fulton Sheen um you know, emphasizes that uh, when you make the holy hour, it's um, a two-way street. And I, I say that in that we speak to God, but also God speaks to us. And I know that many of us, a lot of times, we love to do all the talking. We might uh, come into a church and uh, be quiet for a moment or two, say a holy hour, and then, of course, we're just pouring out our uh, petitions, our intentions, our thoughts. But, um, again, it's important to listen. And, again, uh, that line that says, you know, speak, Lord, your servant is listening. So uh, Fulton Sheen reminds us not to do all the talking, 
but to listen. And um, I know it's easier said than done, but um, uh, people who practice the holy hour uh, say that the best time of the holy hour is when they just sit in the presence of the Lord and listen to him. And, of course, Fulton Sheen wrote many of his homilies uh, in the presence of our blessed Lord uh, during his holy hours, and I'm sure he just listened to the Lord, uh, took notes, and then, of course, uh, prepared his talk. So, again, uh, it's important that we listen to God, uh, but also to speak to him at the same time. Right, and and amplify on that in terms of his own words. Uh, Reading from your book, Lord, Teach Us to Pray, this anthology on prayer, Um, he writes the principal purpose of these holy hour meditations is the cultivation of mental prayer or meditation. And I'm just going to skip around. In the human order, a person in love is always conscious of the one loved, lives in the presence of the other, resolves to do the will of the other, and regards as his greatest jealousy being outdone in the least advantage of self-giving. Apply this to a soul in love with God, and you have the rudiments of meditation. Meditation is therefore a kind of communing of spirit with spirit with God as its object. And he he speaks about, we pray not to dispose God to give us something, but to dispose ourselves to receive something from God and that being the fullness of divine life. Who of us right now could say that we have the fullness of life that God wants to give to us? Um, we, have, we have time uh, to learn more about that and to experience it and to receive it from God. And then in the section that God speaks to us, he writes, activity is not only on the human side, but also on the divine The conversation is an exchange, not a monologue, as you pointed out. As the soul wills to draw near God, God wills to draw near the soul. We must not do all the talking. As you advised, we must also be good listeners. So, yes, that's that's why all of this is is so important and um, uh, the, the conclusion is that what, what the best way to um, be present in this holy hour is to kneel, for it indicates humility and follows the example of our Lord in the Garden of uh, Gethsemane, uh, makes atonement for the, our failings, and is a polite gesture then before God. Yes. And I think he also explains not only about kneeling, but how often and how um, he kind of, you know, talks about, uh, you know, if you do something just once a week, um, you know, is that really uh, something that you'll develop a holy habit with? Or, uh, again, a friendship, you know, do you forge a friendship by only meeting once a month? Or how about every day? And so, uh, again, he really uh, emphasizes uh, in a little note when he talks about how often and uh, just, again, explains how uh, a daily holy hour is what is recommended because uh, it is of that uh, time spent. And my children always said, how do you spell the word love? And it's not always L-O-V-E, it's T-I-M-E. 
And so, uh, again, to spend time with the Lord each day. So, uh, again, Fulton Sheen, um, in his um, wisdom to both priest and to the laity uh, in this book, um, uh, gives us uh, that timely advice that we need to, um, again, spend this time in these uh, difficult times. And I think this is what Fulton Sheen uh, recommends so beautifully, is he's saying, when we enter these troubled times, uh, this is where we need the holy hour more than ever. Uh, of course, he preached these messages during the war years and would encourage those to uh, spend that hour each day. And um, are we not in war still today? I think uh, a spiritual warfare. So uh, again, daily is what is recommended here and uh on our knees helps a great deal and i know father we're coming to a break here yes, once again so um i'll give you the last word here yes and that, that would be that a good example for me is uh, i'm 81 years old 55 years a priest my sister was 64 we didn't we had opportunities to be together for weeks at in some time but i moved home uh in uh in in April, and uh, was able to be with her every day, and uh, uh, the, there was a love that, that deepened there because I was in her presence and she was in mine, and uh, we were able to express that love uh, in ways and in frequency uh, that we hadn't been able to do uh, before, and and so uh, there there is something when we place ourselves in the presence of someone love we love is so important, especially God. Welcome back to uh, Amplify, where our guest this evening is Alan Smith, and we're talking about his anthology um, on the writings of Archbishop Holton Sheen, and it's titled, Lord, Teach Us uh, to Pray. And uh, Alan, um, the last part of the book um, are series of meditations, and of course, seven. First meditation, the incarnation of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Second meditation, how Christ lives in us today. Third, how that divine life is lost and our final end. Fourth, the duty of self-denial. The fifth, giving glory to God in the world. The sixth, the Eucharist in need of our heart, and the seventh, our Blessed Mother. Um, and so these meditations are an effort to assist us, especially those uh, as they begin the holy hour, isn't it? Yes, and I think what Fulton Sheen wanted to give people is a spiritual program. Um, you know, I, I call it a seven-step program in that uh, the book is full of these beautiful meditations where he shares uh, some of the writings uh, of St. John Henry Newman, uh, some of the, of course, beautiful meditations found uh, in um, Imitation of Christ. And uh, so, again, these are um, thought-provoking but necessary because Fulton Sheen wanted you to go to the Holy Hour with some good spiritual reading, something to just maybe just to read a page or two and then meditate on that. But when you look at these seven steps, they're just a beautiful uh, journey, of course, where, you know, you just accept this beautiful gift of the incarnation. That alone is just uh, a reason to rejoice. Uh, thinking about how Christ does live in our hearts 
and how we can lose that divine life in our final end. So, you know, just thinking of pondering on that for a few moments each day uh, and taking that to the holy hour. Uh, of course, he, he coaches us along and uh, uses the saints to teach us how to deny ourselves. Like, that's unheard of today, I think, you know, where we would say to somebody, do you want to deny yourself and uh, maybe offer something up? But um, to get into that holy habit of it's a duty to deny yourself and to get into that practice and, of course, to give glory to God each day. I mean, how often do we not praise God? Uh, sometimes we can be very critical, but uh, are we taking those opportunities to thank the good Lord? And, of course, he points us to the Eucharist, which, as he says, is the need of our heart and uh, the help of the Blessed Virgin Mary. So I'd like to call it a seven-step program that works. Uh, it's a great uh, way to, um, I guess, help someone to journey in the spiritual life. Uh, but again, these meditations that he put together, uh, quoting from a number of great uh, scholars, uh, just kind of get you uh, to uh, ponder. Is that really, I think, sometimes the, the meditation side of of prayer that's needed. So again, I like to call it a seven-step program. And uh, in another uh, chapter of the book, there's another seven-step program where uh, Fulton Sheen has categorized um, a number of meditations. But um, he loves the number seven, I think, the seven last words, the seven sacraments, and of course, uh, these seven meditations from the Holy Hour prayer book. Select one of the meditations and reflect on it a little bit for us as he did. Okay. Um, I, I like to, um, you know, just to go with the first chapter about the incarnation, because I think this is where uh, sometimes we forget that the greatest love story is that God so loved the world that he came into the world. And um, again, I think we just sometimes um, take that for granted. But um, again, I think Fulton Sheen brings to our attention um, that night of the shepherds and, uh, of course, uh, uh, Bethlehem. And, um, you know, he mentions here, he said, um, there were only two classes of men who heard that cry of night, uh, the shepherds and the wise men. Of course, this is the cry of the angels. Shepherds, those who know they know nothing, and wise men, those who know they do not know everything. And uh, I just love that because he just um, uh, simplifies uh, this great mystery. He said both of these heard the cry. The shepherds found their shepherd. The wise man discovered wisdom. And the shepherd and the wisdom was a babe in a crib. He who is born without a mother in heaven is born without a father on earth. He who made his mother is born of his mother. He who made all flesh is born of flesh. The bird that built the nest is hatched therein, maker of the sun under the sun, molder of the earth on the earth, ineffably wise, a little infant, filling the world, lying in a manger, ruling the stars, suckling a breast, the mirth of heaven weeps. God becomes man, creator a creature, rich becomes poor, divinity incarnate, majesty subjugated, liberty captive, 
eternity time, master a servant, truth accused, judge, judged and justice condemned, Lord scourged, power bound with robes, king crowned with thorns, salvation wounded, life dead, the eternal word is dumb, marvel of marbles, union of unions, three mysterious unions in one, divinity and humanity, virginity and fecundity, faith and the heart of man. Um, very poetic words that Fulton Sheen uses, but to emphasize the point of, of what really happened that night in Bethlehem when our Lord came into the earth. Um, again, he talks about, um, you know, the, uh, of course, that scene uh, with the shepherds and the wise men. But um, again, uh, we can relate to that. But uh, at this, again, the incarnation, just how important it is to uh, remember that. And I think when you watch Fulton Sheen on television, sometimes he has that smile, um, not so much like a Cheshire cat, but a smile that um, you can tell he's very happy that God so loved the world that he entered the world to save us. And of course, he wanted to share that story with the world. I, um, I underline in red my book throughout as I read through so I can go back again and reread those particular parts of the book. And sometimes I put an asterisk. An asterisk means I'm going to, usually means I'm going to bring it up in the program in some way. And um, I'm looking at the uh, third meditation, how that divine life is lost and our final end. And I have this uh, closing with an asterisk. God is the divine lover. As the hound of heaven, he is continuously in pursuit of souls. Way back in the agelessness of eternity, he loved us with an eternal love. I would say that's the love to which my sister has returned. When time begins for an individual soul, he gives it the riches of nature, calls it to be an adopted son, feeds it on his own substance, and makes it an heir of heaven. But that soul may soon forget such goodness, and yet God does not forget to love. He pursues the soul, sends discontent deep into it to bring it back to him, cuts purposely across its path to manifest his presence, sends his ambassadors to it, lavishes it with medicinal graces, and still divine love is spurned. Finally, rejected more often than 70 times 7, Divine love abandons the pursuit of such a soul that turns from him at the end of its lease on life and cries out, it is finished. Love can do no more. And it is a terrible thing not to be loved. And most of all, not to be loved by love. That is hell. Hell is a place where there is no love. Now, in um, the next night, I'll probably... Um, we'll probably finish about uh, 10.55, Alan. And let's just select some of the thoughts for meditation uh, at the end of the book, as you already explained what, what he has done, what uh, Archbishop Sheen has done, uh, going to other people for, for thoughts that uh, would motivate us and inspire us. Um, right. 
and you know the titles of these meditations you just think of them he gives us thoughts on faith and belief thoughts on the spiritual battle uh, thoughts on prayer and sacrifice uh, thoughts about looking into your soul uh, words of encouragement of course thoughts on the eucharist and thoughts on the blessed virgin mary and these uh, thoughts come from his little wartime prayer book uh, his advice and encouragement to the soldiers and so when he penned this he wanted to make sure that the soldiers were of course taking these little uh, sayings and pondering as they were in the trenches and when i think about the thoughts on prayer and sacrifice uh, fulton sheen writes he says we do not pray in order that we may change god's will we pray rather to change our own will he also writes we do not pray that we may have good things we pray rather that we may be good he also encourages us he says the perfect prayer is not one in which we tell god what we wish from him but rather one in which we ask god what he wishes from us and again, those were just three short one-liners from uh, these meditations on thought, on prayer, and sacrifice. And what I have done is uh, when I underline them, uh, I, uh, I, I sort of tie them all together as one like you did. They're separate, and yet uh, I make them one in my mind as I reflect on them, uh, thoughts of encouragement. Uh, there is only one thing in the world worse than sin, and that is the refusal to recognize that we are sinners. God loves you more than you love yourself. As St. Augustine said, God loves us. Everyone is though there was but one of us to love. It is so hard to admit that one is a sinner, it is so hard to climb the hill of Calvary and kneel beneath a cross and ask for pardon and forgiveness. Certainly, it is hard, but it is harder to hang there. The pleasures of the world are always delightful in anticipation, disgusting in retrospect. The joys of the Spirit seem difficult in prospect, but are thrilling in their possession. God is reminding us that our peace is in Him. Do not think of God as always looking around corners with an angel as a secretary to jot down all your sins. He is also looking at your good deeds, seeing every drink of cold water you give in His name, every visit to the sick you make in His name. Every act of kindness you do for your fellow man in his name. There are two classes of people in the world. Those who fall and stay down and those who fall and get up again. And then finally, count your resurrections as well as your falls. How important that is. Absolutely, absolutely. And that chapter is just full of those gems of um, just timely 
um, words of encouragement from a pastor of souls. And um, again, just as you read those, Father, I just, um, you know, it's that whole idea of still getting up, you know, um, don't be discouraged. Do not be discouraged. Um, you know, I think I, I treasure Fulton Sheen's uh, thoughts on the Blessed Virgin Mary. And uh, I think sometimes um, uh, Catholics are a bit misunderstood uh, when it comes to the Blessed Virgin Mary. And so may I share just a few of Please. Fulton Sheen's thoughts on the Blessed Mother. And so he writes, he says, he asks a question. He says, what would you think of one who professed to be a true friend of yours and yet never spoke to your mother. That is what our Lord thinks of those who have no veneration to his virgin mother. Fulton Sheen also writes, if you could have pre-existed your mother, would you not have made her the most beautiful woman and the best in the world? Well, our Lord pre-existed his mother. We may therefore presume that he did that very thing. Fulton Sheen also writes, It is a Christian tradition that no one who is devoted to our Lord's mother is ever lost. There is a story to the effect that one day, as our Lord was walking through the courts of heaven, he saw some souls who seemed to have won heaven quite easily. Peter, he asked, How did these souls gain entry into my kingdom? And Peter answered, don't blame me, Lord. Every time I close the door, your mother opens uh, right. a window. Yeah. And again, just so beautiful, these, um, these timely little words just to um, uh, let us uh, focus on uh, God's love and that he created his mother. And of course, he gave Mary to us as a gift uh, on Calvary when he said those words, woman, behold your son, and to the apostle he loved Behold your mother. Uh, at that moment, we became children of Mary through a very beautiful spiritual adoption. This one's to go further into uh, the chapter on thoughts on prayer and, and uh, sacrifice. Um, speaks loud to me at this point. You cannot always depend on prayers to be answered the way you want them answered, but you can always depend on God. So um, it comes with uh, life and death. God will supply every, will not supply every want, but he will supply every need. The trouble is that we want what we do not need. The perfect prayer is one in which we seek to identify our will with God's will. Quote from Matthew, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Our guest this evening has been Alan Smith. We've been talking about his latest anthology, Lord, Teach Us to Pray. Alan, thank you so very much uh, for being with us, and I hope we can get together and continue our conversation sometime in the future. Yes, Father. Uh, I have a fourth anthology coming out uh, towards the end of the year or the beginning of next, and it's uh, Archbishop Sheen's writings on God's love. So, oh, um, wow. That'll, look that'll be a good one. All right. Thank you. Yes. Bless you. And yes, bless you. Thanks, Alan. Thank you, Frank. Bye now. So, um, just a few reflections on my reflections at, uh, at the uh, Mass 
of resurrection for my sister. There are like 20 passages to select from uh, the four gospels that we use in those circumstances. And I chose the one where Jesus prays at the Last Supper as he is about to die. And uh, he raises his eyes to heaven and says, Father, those you have given to me are your gift to me. I wish that where I am, they may also be with me. And a little further down, that the love with which you loved me may be in them and I in them. And to me, that was the basis, real basis for what we were doing at, at that particular moment in this, uh, this mass of resurrection. That's what we were celebrating, the great burst of God's love that brought Mary Jean back to him with the help of the angels. I think that's what death is. I think that death truly is a great burst of God's love bringing us back to him. And what is it that happens when um, our life here ends? Um, I believe that uh, we are carried uh, back to God by our guardian angel and an angel who presides in that process of our return to heaven, to, the, to that life where uh, we were uniquely, uniquely designed and created to be messengers of God's love. And in, and in some sense, only that, in some sense, not actually, but in some sense, angels. I said at the beginning of the program that so many people referred with that description of my sister as, as, as an angel. And then Jesus prays at the Last Supper, may the love with which you love me be in them and I in them. Um, there are so many so-called coincidences in life that I believe are a part of the great mystery of love trying to reveal how, how intimately God is involved in each of our lives on earth from our first breath until our last breath. And I certainly did see the last one. Uh, both of my sister's lives ended in exhilarating um, mystery, I think, to get attention. And I think some events inspire us to look back again at some of the unusual or strange events in our lives, but more importantly, to look back to the love that is shown to us every day. I must admit, I don't always know or understand what is happening or where God is taking me or teaching me. I can only wonder I wonder a whole lot, especially through faith and imagination. For example, I wondered, why does God want Mary Jean back now? Why does it have to be now? And because of that prayer it, at the Last Supper, I, I questioned, is it because he loves her so much? Is that why he brought her back? Because he loved her so much. Because he prayed, Father, those who you gave me are your gift to me. I wish that where I am, they also may be. Is that the answer to my question? And so we need to pay attention through the power of prayer, through faith and imagination, how God has created each and every one of us 
to be an extension of his love. Again, um, Mary Jean was an example for many people. And so I suggested to the people there that they must share any love they felt for Mary Jean with one another because it was the love of God shared with her and the love he shares with each of us. So be a gift, be an angel from God to others. Don't forget then how precious life is and how powerful love is. Tell someone now that you love him or her. Pray for peace as if it depended on you alone. And come back next Sunday and amplify with us.